0: Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature... so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in christ jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of god not as a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them.
1: especially after reading Ephesians 2 1 through 10 where we realize our natural born state was we were born dead in our trespasses and sins spiritually dead and we spent our life following the course of the world following really the prince of the power of the air which is Satan and yet you loved us when we were sons of disobedience You sent Jesus to die for us. And he paid the penalty for our sin on that cross. And then he uh, rose from the dead and he offers (laughs) us salvation. And your Holy Spirit enlightened our heart. Gave us faith that we could exercise. And then we were saved. We were transferred from the kingdom of darkness to light. We go from spending an eternity without you to spending an eternity with you. And, oh, dear Lord, we thank you for that. May we sing praises. And as we're going to see today, and then you have a job for us to do. We are not here by accident. And I pray we'd be faithful to that. So, Lord, we thank you that uh, uh, we got power back on. I think I'm actually (laughs) feeling warm air. Mm -hmm. And so uh, go figure. But anyway, we thank you. And just pray that none of this would be a deterrent to our worship and you speaking to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Well, maybe it feels warmer, I don't know. But give somebody a nice handshake, that'll that'll help warm you up. Handshake. (laughs) Handshake. We're going to look at two verses today from Deuteronomy, but they're foundational verses for life. And so it's a very simple point, but it's, it's a very big point. And, and like a lot of scriptural truth, you know, it, it, it's, it's, well, yeah, there it is. But, oh, my goodness, the ramifications and how that works and why it works is immense. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 tells us, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not not as a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And, And we know Ephesians 1, 3, and 4 tells us that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I mean, uh, just get your head around that thought. You are that important that God knew you before he created the universe and the world. And he ordained uh, and designed you for, uh, just the way you are to be used for his glory and for his honor. So that's what uh, that's what this song's about. <laughs> Sums up a lot. We think of the songs that we've sung already, Lord. Because of that and what Jesus has done for us, we realize we have a purpose, we have a future. And it's it's really in a lot of ways, it is mind-blowing that you would do all that for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we think about those things, yeah, we sing praises. Our hearts should just be overflowing with gratitude and praise. I mean, wonderment. I, I love the uh, the line that says, two wonders here are that I confess my worth because of what you've done for me, and yet my unworthiness because who in the world am I? But Lord, we thank you for that. And again, as we have gathered together uh, this morning, uh, we thank you that, uh, you know, that... Uh, We have the facilities we have. You know, I I continually pray when we think about this, we think of our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine that um, have power for about two hours a day, then it goes off for four, and then it comes back on and off and on. (coughs) And we think of our brothers and sisters in Russia, and we think of uh, really people around the world, think of those that are in prisons, think of those that are in hospitals, Think of those that are just having a really hard time today with life. And so, Father, on this, your Lord's Day, we pray that you would touch every single human being. And here's the amazing thing is, of all the billions of people there are, you know them all. Right now, you know what they're going through. Right now, you know their beginning from their end. Their their end from their beginning. We've got all of that and that's why you are God and that's why we just stand to worship you and say Lord I thank you for what you have given me. I thank you for what you've allowed me to have. Help me be faithful to you. But I know that uh, you know we're thankful for a lot of things and a lot of things are on our hearts. People are, are grieving. People are just really having a difficult time. So. so this is a good time now that we've kind of got our minds thinking along those lines. With singing praises in Ephesians, and and we are God's handiwork, and our worth is not in what we own, or how old we are, or what we have, or whatever our worth is. That that in us as a person, that Jesus came and died for. So, with all of that on our hearts and minds, spend a few quiet moments with your God. Prayers of thanksgiving, and just offer up to Him whatever it is on. Dear God, we just thank you that you are God. and I thank you that you are, in a lot of ways, uncomprehendable because you are that big. I mean, whenever I sit in traffic, you know, especially in the city, and I look at all these cars, and I see all these people, and I've had the thought many times, God, you know all of them. You know what, they, what they've done. You know what they're planning to do. You know what they're doing right now. I mean, you've got all of this figured out. It's just mind-blowing around the world. Plus, you're holding the entire universe together. And, and yet, you know me. And yet, through the Lord Jesus Christ, I can talk directly to you. And it truly is as if I'm the only one in the universe. It is that personal. It is that close. So, Lord, we thank you. And as we do that, we need to remember who you are. You are holy, holy, holy. We may we never lose sight of that. We pray In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand this? Evening? Trinity, so Lord, we kind of set the stage for who you are and what you do, and now we really go into high gear as we come to your word. And so I pray that as we look at, uh, at really two simple verses, that you would help us see the the depth and the beauty of these, and really how this is our these are our marching orders. This is our life. Mm-hmm. So help us see it. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. As you are seated, or after you are seated, take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 is where we want to begin this morning with a familiar, really, story of the Lord. As he concludes the Sermon on the Mount, he says this. And some of you builders will really appreciate this, but as you listen to this, realize we are all builders. For one, you're living a life. One way or another, you are building your life. One way or another, you've built your life. You know, you've laid a foundation. You've, you know, some of us are older. Uh, and so uh, we are all builders. And especially as Christians, Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 tells us we are all builders. So listen to this. Verse 46 of Luke 6, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts like them, I will show you whom he is like. All right. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred and the torrent burst against the house and, uh, and the torrent burst against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation, and the torrent, torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. What he's he's referring to and what he's emphasizing is the importance of a foundation. And he's saying, I am the foundation. My words are the foundation. If you will will pattern and build your life around me, then things will go well. Your your house will stand. Yes, there's going to be torrents. Yes, there's going to be difficulties. But I will help you through all of it. And at the end, you will be with me forever. As opposed to the person who wants to do it all on his own, it's going to be disaster after disaster, even though it may look great in this life, disaster upon disaster, and then, of course, they're going to spend an eternity apart from God. So we want to build a wise foundation. With that in mind, go to Deuteronomy chapter 14. As we go through the book of Deuteronomy, we are looking at the children of Israel about to finally inhabit the land that God had promised them. The land that God had promised to Abraham, uh, with with when he called Abraham, remember? There in Genesis chapter 12 at around 296 B.C. Now we're at about 1406 B.C., so that's 685 years later. Now they're going to go into that land. Remember that they ended up in Egypt to be uh, saved from starving to death through the, through the uh, famine. God had put Joseph there. Great story, right? Because Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, hated by his brothers, really given up for dead, and God was just moving click, 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 prepared from before the foundation of the world Joseph ends up being really second in command of Egypt, saves all these people, brings his family there. Things are great until a pharaoh arises after Joseph's dead who doesn't know, uh, didn't know Joseph, and they treat the children of Israel very cruelly. You know, they're there for some 430 years. And so finally God gets them out, coming to the promised land. They get to the they get on the verge, and they send spies in, and the spies come back and say, "Man, it's a great land." However, we have a problem. This team is difficult. We don't stand a chance. For you football fans, I did check the uh, the uh, Philadelphia Eagles versus the New York Giant score in, in stats, and oh my goodness, the Eagles it, uh, they almost got I think double the yardage. Uh, Of that game. So it was, if you're a a New York Giant fan, you're not very happy today. But it's kind of like that. It'd be like, you know, putting Bret Hart's football team, nothing about Bret Hart's football team, but we've never done good in football, putting them up against the San Francisco 49ers that, good Lord willing, will win today. Uh, You can't do it. And so they looked at that and they panicked and they said, We can't do that. Joshua and Caleb said, Well, yeah, they're tough, but, you know, God's on our side. We can do this, and they wouldn't do it, so they waited 40 years while that generation died. The next generation now is ready to go in. And so they're standing on the east side of the Jordan, about ready to go in. Jericho is gonna be the first town, and uh, Moses has been going over their history, because this is, remember, these these are young kids, and some of them were born along the way, and so they he's given them the background. Really, he's giving them the foundation. Their parents have died. You realize the only two people, the only two adults that entered the promised land that came out of Egypt were Joshua and Caleb. So we've got probably a couple of million people or or so have, have had to pass away. So now they're on that verge of going in. And what we've seen in the book of Deuteronomy is God through Moses is laying this foundation. And he's saying, this is what you do. And over and over and over again, last week we we noted it, that almost every chapter at the beginning, he says, these are the commandments. This is what you must do. And and it's kind of been in a summary fashion up to chapter 14. And now when you get to chapter 14, all the way to chapter 26, it gets very specific and very detailed. He's going to lay down how I want you to live. And we're going to see that it it entails what they eat. It entails how they handle debts. It entails how they worship. It entails how they uh, deal with civil problems, how they deal with marital problems. I mean, it's very detailed. And we're not going to go into huge detail because it's the then and there, and we want to get to the here and now, but there are principles that we'll see that are just fabulous. It all begins in chapter 14 with the first two verses. This is the foundation for the rest of their lives. and It's kind of a summary of what he's already said, but I find it interesting that he uses a term that he hasn't used before, and he uses a term he's not going to use again. You are the sons of the Lord your God. He doesn't use that Hasn't used it before, will not use it afterwards. So as we start this big section of the foundation, this is the rule book. This is the playbook. This is what I want you to do. He says this. And really, it's not hard to understand, but it's very profound. Listen. He says, You are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves, Or shave your foreheads for the sake of the dead. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It's not that hard to understand, is it? He's telling them who they are. You are the sons, in a generic sense, sons and daughters. You are the the sons of the Lord your God. Therefore, thou shalt not. And we're going to see there's going to be a lot of thou shalts. In fact, I, I, out of curiosity, I tried to count up chapter 14 to chapter 26, how many shall nots there are. And it's a little difficult, so this is a rough estimate. There's about 75 thou shalt nots. Okay? Because you are the sons of the living God. And also, you are a holy people to the Lord your God. You're a people that God chose you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples that are on the earth. He didn't choose everybody. He chose you. And therefore, we're going to see there are about 175 thou shalts. So he's he's very specific. He says, you know, I'm going to give you a lot of thou shalt nots and a lot of thou shalts. Why? Because you are my son. And because you are a holy people to the Lord your God, me. So here's the bottom line. He's saying, basically, I want you to act as you are. Behave in accordance with who you are. You are the sons of God, the Lord your God, act like it. You are a holy people under the Lord your God that he chose, act like it. And unless you have any doubts, here's how. To act like it, you shall not do this, this, and the other thing. To act like it, you shall do this, this, and the other thing. And so it's, it's very simple. And, and I just kept going through my mind, as you know, it's very simple. All that you gotta do is remember, act like who you are. I, uh, this week as I was thinking about this and looking at it, I, I looked up, I thought, you know, How how would I have to act if, for example, I was part of the royal family in England? There are rules and regulations. You know? For example, you know one of the most interesting ones I saw is that when the queen, this was all written when the queen was here, so when the, today, when the king stops eating, everybody stops eating. So if you're a slow eater, you better you better really chow it down if he's a fast eater. But that's that's the rule is when the king stops eating, you stop eating because you're part of the royal family. And that may actually apply to anybody who's at the at the dinner table. Oh one thing that the royal family cannot do, you cannot go to bed until the monarch does. So if the monarch's gonna stay up to two in the morning, you can't you know, cop out at nine o'clock. You got you can't nobody goes to bed until the king or queen goes to bed. And there's all these other rules, dress codes, etc., etc., etc. Why? Because you are part of the royal family. So what God is telling the nation of Israel, and then we'll see when we get to the New Testament, what He's telling us is we are part of a royal family. We are part of the royal family. You are sons of the Lord your God. And you are a holy people under the Lord your God. So that's pretty simple, isn't it? But it gets very profound. And hopefully to lead you and lead us both, lead us all down that road, I want to ask and answer two questions about this simple truth in verses 1 and 2. Number one, what? Well, what is he saying? He's saying, first of all, you as the nation of Israel are sons of the Lord your God. In other words... We have a relationship. We have a relationship that I really don't have. God's the creator, so in that sense, he has a general relationship with everybody. But his sons and daughters are those whom he chooses. Not everybody. So we have a relationship. You are my my children. I'm your father. And therefore, because of that relationship, there are certain things you shall not do. Because this is not what the son of a king does. And the first one he mentions is there in verse 1. Because you are the sons of the Lord your God, you shall not cut yourselves nor shave your forehead for the sake of the dead. And I thought, why? what in the world is this? Well, this is something that the pagans did. Remember, they came out of Egypt and there was a lot of pagan worship. Uh, Where they are going, uh, the land in which they are possessing, we have seen, chapters 1, basically, through 13, there's a lot of pagan worship. In fact, you're to go in there and you're to get rid of it because I don't want you worshiping like the pagans. And one of the things they did for their gods in their worship was cut themselves. Now, you may be remembering the, I think, the greatest example of this is uh, in 1 Kings chapter 18. Years later, as the nation has uh, really gone amok, and they are worshiping the Baals, God sent them a prophet named Elijah. And Elijah had kind of gone along for a while. And then finally, he says, "You know what? I've had this. Let's let's have a contest. Let us have a demonstrate. Let's have a challenge. If, if we're gonna so, we got all the prophets of Baal up there on Mount Carmel, and he says, "Look, let let's do this." Let's build an altar because everybody sacrifices. Build an altar, and whoever's God can bring down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice, their God, and let's all worship them. All right? So if Baal couldn't do that, then let's all worship Baal. But if God does that, then let's all worship God and, and and quit all of this back and forth stuff. And of course, we know what happened. Is that the prophets of Baal went first and they built their altar and they're they're up there uh, crying. And well, verse 26 says, They took the ox which was given to them and they prepared it, called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Nothing happened. Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they leaped about their altar which they had made. And it came about at noon. That Elijah mocked them and said and you can just see this almost with a smirk on his face because he knows. He says well why don't you call out with a loud voice for he is God and either he's occupied he's in the bathroom or has gone aside or is on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened so just a little louder please. So they cried with a loud voice verse 28 and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and and lances until the blood gushed out of them. And I read that part of that was to hopefully invoke some pity from this God as to hopefully their God, and look what I'm doing for you, have pity on me and answer my requests. Since this was so prevalent in that day as Moses is laying the foundation for them. So I'm going to make it very simple for you. You are the sons of the, of the Lord your God. You don't do that. For one, and we've already seen, there are no other gods. But don't, don't get into that. Just leave that alone. And secondly, he says, back to Deuteronomy 14.2, you are a holy people. You are a holy people to the Lord your God. He's chosen you for a people of his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. This is who they are. So it'd be like if I went, hey, Charlene and I were talking about this, you, you realize, and I, I asked her the other night, I says, how well do you think I'd do in England with all these rules and regulations? Not very well. Uh, some of them I'd probably break on purpose, and some of them I would just, it's just the way I am, you know. And uh, end up in the probably the London Tower or whatever. So, uh, to why did I say that? I have no clue. Where oh so <laughs> do you? You know I really. Why did I say that? Okay, what I wanted to go. Let's go to. They were a chosen people. In Genesis chapter twelve, this is where it starts. Like I said, this is about two two thousand and ninety six B C. The Lord said to Abram, "Go forth from your country." From your relatives, from your father's house to, to the land Which I shall show you Later he's going to say I'm going to give you this land And he laid out the dimensions which is Palestine And I will make you a great nation And I will bless you And I'll make your name great And you will be a blessing And I'll bless those who bless you The one who curses you I will curse And in all the families And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed and We're, we're going to see that In a, in a since then and of course ultimately looking to the Messiah Jesus Christ is going to come from you and he's going to die on a cross and that's going to be available to everybody so in that sense the whole world will be blessed by you Mm -hmm. but this was a promise made and then like I said some some six uh, well you know God fulfilled that promise Deuteronomy chapter 7 remember he tells them verse 6 you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Saying, and this is over and over. It's kind of like, hey, guys, just remember who you are. But it, it, because uh, the Lord loved you and kept an oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord brought you out of the mighty hand. Redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the house from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant, his loving kindness to a thousandth a generation of those who love and keep his commandments, but he has chosen you. You are indeed a holy nation. You are a holy nation set apart from me. So now we ask, a holy nation? what he says you are a holy people to the Lord your God how holy were they well we know from history we don't have to go far realize practically they were not that holy. in Deuteronomy chapter 9 and a lot of this will be reviewed so just sit and listen Verse 4, he says, when you come into this land, do not say in your heart, when your Lord your God is driven out before you, all of the people that are there, don't say in your heart, well, it's because of my righteousness the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Don't think that just because I have chosen you and I've given you this land and I'm kicking out we're going to get rid of all these people, it's because you're so holy and you're so rich. He says, no, no, no. It's it's not because of your righteousness. It is because of the wickedness of those nations that the Lord is disposing them before you. Verse 5 of Deuteronomy 9 It is not for your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you're going to possess their land, but it's because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you. In order to conform the oath, which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is very faithful. So now, so then, it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stubborn people. And and we've seen that. You know, from the day I took you out, you have been a rebellious child. But you are still my child. And and you you think, well, then how could they be called holy? Well, they're holy because God is holy and they're his people. But their behavior uh, lacked a lot. And they had a basic problem. And that basic problem is given to us by Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 36. Jeremiah Mm -hmm. chapter 36. This is as Jeremiah except it's not Jeremiah, it's Ezekiel 36. Sorry, Ezekiel 36, as Ezekiel was talking about the new covenant. Ezekiel is now talking about, you know, the old covenant he gave at Sinai that they're living under in Deuteronomy. Uh, As we move forward in time, the prophet Ezekiel and Jeremiah talk about the new covenant that is coming, that Christ instituted through his death, burial, and resurrection. He says, when that comes, then, verse 25, I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. And I'll put a new spirit within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That was their problem, their heart. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And then you'll live in the land and give to your forefathers. So they had this problem is that really, on their own, they couldn't keep God's law. They couldn't be holy. And the whole point was God is saying, I know that, I want you to know that, and I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me. Why do you think he gave them the sacrificial system was to take care of that sin, to get back to, get back to, to me? I mean, I, I think of uh, in Deuteronomy 12, we saw that uh, you were to take certain, you could eat certain foods away from the temple, but certain food certain things and sacrifices you had to take to the temple, one of that, one of those was your sacrifices for sin. Deuteronomy 12, 27 You shall offer your burnt offerings The flesh and blood on the altar of the Lord your God The blood of your sacrifice Now remember we saw how As you killed an animal You were not to kill You were not to eat it with its blood You were to drain the blood out of it Because life was in the blood You know The wages of sin is death God told Adam and Eve The day you eat of this tree The day you disobey me You will die the wages of sin is death. It's been that way from the beginning. It is still that way. It'll be that way all the way to the end. But God is gracious, and he knew that. And so as he's given them <coughs> these commandments that he knows they're going to break, he gives them a sacrificial system so that as they're aware of that, they go, oh, okay, now I need to really trust God, And, and but before that, i got to come and have my sin covered, so I'm going to bring this out. And that's why the blood was so important. You didn't eat the blood. If you were going to eat an animal, you drained the blood on the ground enough left The blood you took, as an example, it's Leviticus 17.11, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For your souls. And so that's why that was So they had a problem. They had that problem. And you see this, you know, does that mean that they had an excuse? No. Because God said, I mean, did, did not God make it very clear? And, and we've said this over and over. This, let me refresh your memory. Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is the commandment, the statutes, the judgments the Lord has given me to you. Do them. Do all of them. And he says, do it so your days will be prolonged. Do it so that it will be well with you. And that theme has been over and over. So God doesn't give us something to do that he doesn't expect us to do. But he expects us to do it with his help depending upon him, which means you follow directions. You say, God, I don't get it. I really don't even want to do this, but help me do this. Help me do this. And when they sinned in the Old Testament, their relationship with God, like it does now, is 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 uh, is tainted to such a degree that when David sinned with Bathsheba, and while well, he committed adultery, murder, all kinds of sins, remember he said in Psalm fifty one eleven, "Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your holy spirit from me." Mm-hmm. See, they had the power of the Holy Spirit when they were obedient, and God enabled them to do. The laws, But what happened is is we'll see on Wednesday, or if Joe gets that far, you know, Jesus says to his disciples, you know, I'm leaving and it's to your advantage I leave because the Holy Spirit, who has been with you, when I leave and I send him, he'll be in you. And then, of course, in the New Testament, we know that is a permanent possession for us. But in this time, when you sin, I mean... You lost that, and so that's why David is saying, "Oh God, here I am! Don't take your Holy Spirit from me." And I thought, okay, you know, you, they don't have an excuse because it can be done, depending on God. The illustration of that is in John chapter one. Zechariah and Elizabeth, the father and mother of John the Baptist. Says of them, God says of them, in, uh, well, not John chapter 1, Luke chapter 1. I didn't think that sounded right. And I've kind of found if it doesn't sound right, it's probably not right. Luke chapter 1, talking about Zacharias in Elizabeth, verse 6, Luke 1. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments the requirements of the Lord what were those what we're reading Deuteronomy, Leviticus the whole law they did it depending upon God we saw during Christmas time that Mary and Joseph were righteous so it was possible it was possible so when you read let's go back to Deuteronomy now so as you read Deuteronomy 14, where it says, You are a righteous people, you realize, well, their behavior is going to be far from it. But it was possible, and because they are the children of God, this is how they are described. So you get the basic point, is your sons and your this special people now act like it. You know, and here's how you act like it. You just follow these directions. I think the beauty of all of this. Why is in an answering, asking and answering the second question? The second question is why. Why, why did God choose us to be sons and daughters? Why, why, are we a holy people? Why are there some seventy-five Thou shalt nots in these chapters? And there's, there were more. There were hundreds of commandments. Well, you add the Thou shalt. The shells 170 why all of that so let me go through this quickly i was thinking going over this last night you know it's too bad we don't have till you know the 49er game which is i think at one o'clock but we don't so i'm going to wrap it up quick so just think with me just think with me and i think you'll find this really exciting first of all the reason why it's so fundamental for them and for us is the simple fact Number one, that God's glory, he puts on display. God's glory displayed. You know, God's a spirit. How would we know God unless he showed us something? Mm -hmm. So we know initially he showed us who he is in creation. In Romans chapter 1, we know that... uh, uh, Verse 19 tells us, Because that which is known about God is evident within them. He's talking about mankind. For God made it evident to them. How did God make himself evident to mankind? Verse 20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through been, through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Creation shows us God. God is is displaying his glory in what he made so we can see it. And now this is a cursed world, but you go outside and look at it, it is a beautiful world. And and God's glory shines even through that curse. And of course we know Psalm 19 says, even the heavens are declaring the glory of God. So God, wanting to show us who he is, and I and I thought about this for years, that you know, and I thought, well, why did God do that? Why did God bother creating anything? Why did he do that? Because you know why God is love, and what does love do? Wants to share. God is that good. He wanted to share himself with us. So that's why he made all this. He's displaying his glory. So God not only displays his glory through creation, but now watch this one. He displays his glory through. Through his commandments. You learn a lot about a person by what they will allow or not allow. True? You go to somebody's house, and I always, I got a simple rule. I'm in your house, I follow your rules. There are houses I go into, I got to take my shoes off. No problem. It's your, I, hey, it's your house. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. And, and but that tells me something about you. Go to, I don't know what. I shouldn't have used that example. But anyway, you know, what what a person's rules and regulations are tells you about them. Same thing with God. Why did he give all of these rules and regulations? He's displaying his glory. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 and 8 through 8 and he's talking about how God communicated to them listen to what Moses says Deuteronomy 4 verse 5 see how I have taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it to keep them for that keeping them is your wisdom and your understanding now watch this you're with, so you're going I've given you commandments that are different from the way other people have. And I want you to live in a way different than other people do. So I'm giving you this wisdom and understandings in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely, this is a this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as to the Lord our God whenever we call on him? Or what great nation is there that his statutes and judgments are righteous as his whole law which I am setting before you today? He's saying, I am displaying my righteousness through my commandments. So when I say you shall have no other gods before me, there are no other gods, you're to worship me alone. I'm telling you something about me. I'm telling you that if you worship something, you know, I I will I will respond to that. When I tell you you shall keep the Sabbath, I'm telling you something. I'm giving you this sign, I want you to keep it. When I tell you that I want you to honor your father and mother, I'm telling you, I look at I designed a family, this is important. I'm telling you about that. And then he goes on, when I tell you not to murder, not to commit adultery, not to steal, not to bear <coughs> false witness, not to covet. what am I telling you that I created you to be like me in that sense of sharing my whole, this is the way we are to live. You're going into a land where they do everything, but they worship other gods. They are abusive to their parents. They kill each other left and right. In fact, they burn their children in the fire to their gods. They—they they are sexually immoral beyond description. They steal, they lie, they covet everything. You are to be different, because you're the sons of the Lord your God, and you are a holy people, because I'm a holy people, and I've told you how, in my law, in my law. So God displays his glory in creation, in his commandments. Now we come to the nation of Israel in his people. They were to be, the nation of Israel was chosen to display God's glory. Chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, verse 32. Indeed, ask now concerning the former days which were before you since the day the Lord created man on the earth, and inquire from one end of the heavens to the other: Has anything like this been done, or has anything uh, heard anything like it? I mean, we've only got one Creator. Verse thirty-three: Has any people heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of the fire as you have heard it and survived? Or has a God tried to go and take for himself a nation from wi- from within another nation by trials, by signs? by wonders and by war and by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm and by great terrors as the Lord, your God, did for you in Egypt before your eyes? No. You guys are special. God is displaying all of this through you in what he has done for you. And and then you think about it. What what has God displayed about himself through the nation of Israel? Number one, his love is love. What does love do? Love doesn't love you because you're lovable. Love loves because I chose to love you. Chapter 7 again. It says I didn't choose you because you were the most people on the earth. I choose you because I set my love on you. And we see God's faithfulness in his people. Even though he sent them into captivity, even though there's going to be those periods of times, he's going to bring them back. He's faithful to what he has done. Faithful. Deuteronomy 7 9. Know therefore the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness. Faithful. God is also demonstrating his justice. His justice. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 23. Listen to this. He says, so when you go over there, watch yourselves that you do not forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he's making with you, and make for yourself a graven image in the form of anything against which the Lord your God has commanded you. I told you not to do that. Everybody else is going to be doing it. Don't do it. Why? Because you are sons of the Lord your God. And you are a holy people, so you don't do that. So watch yourselves. For the Lord your God, verse twenty four, is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Verse twenty five: When you become the father of children and children's children, and have remained long in the land, and act corruptly, so He's telling them, this is what's going to happen: You're going to act corruptly and make an idol in the form of anything, do uh, and do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke Him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will surely perish quickly. From the land where you are going over the, uh, the Jordan to possess it, you shall not live long on it. You will be utterly destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord drives you. And then you will serve God's, the work of man's hands, wood, stone, which neither see nor eat nor smell, And you can add or can do anything for you. This is what you're going to do. And because you're going to break my law that I told you not to break, I'm going to display my justice as I discipline you. God's displaying his justice. But then God also displays his compassion. The passage goes on to say, verse 29, from... There you will seek the Lord your God. You will find him if you search for him with your heart and all your soul. And when you are distressed and these things have come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. For the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you nor destroy you. You can can add here totally and completely. For you uh, normally forget the covenant with your fathers which he swore. to you. So you see... (laughs) It's amazing. God is displaying his glory. I am holy. I am just. I am righteous. I am, I am compassionate. And I'm going to display all of that through you. And, and so when the nations see you in trouble, they will recognize my justice and my compassion. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Because we want to get, well, then he's a God of blessing. He's a God of blessing. We know he's a God of blessing. I'm going to bless you. And as I bless you, the nations will see, like we read earlier, what, what nation has, a, has God that gives them such rules and laws? And then they'll say, which nation is it who God can do these great things for? When you follow directions, and I do bless you. Read Deuteronomy 11. If you will follow directions, I will bless your, your, your family. I'll br- bless your crops. We're going to get rid of your enemies. But if you disobey in my justice, I will punish you. But the nations will see that. The nations will see that and they'll be amazed because they're watching God work through his people. You remember when they did cross the Jordan River? Well, yeah, before they crossed the Jordan River, they sent spies, two spies into Jericho because that was the first obstacle. the spies came, and they sought refuge in the house of a harlot named Rahab. And Rahab hid the spies on the roof. And as she's laying them down on the roof, this is Joshua 2, verse 9, she says, She said to these men, 'I, I know, listen to this, I know that the Lord your God has given you the land. You say, how in the world did she know that? I mean, did they give her a copy of of the prophecies and of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy? No, they just heard word of mouth. He says, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us, that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. Why? Verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the river of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt when you and what he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Cheyenne and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And when we heard it, what our, your God did for you and through you, our hearts melted. And no courage remained in any man any longer because of you for the Lord your God. He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. God is glorifying himself through his people as he works through his people and as he blesses their people through their obedience and as he chastises their people in their disobedience. And so she says, look, remember me. And of course we know she does. And I think she's incorporated into the nation of Israel. When you get to heaven, you can ask Rahab all about that. Blessings. Lastly, quickly, God's glory not only revealed through creation, his commandments, and his people, but God's glory protected. God will protect his glory. I want you to take a look at Ezekiel chapter 36. So take a look at this one. Ezekiel chapter 36. Something very, very important to remember. You may ask yourself the question, why does God do some things and not do other things? I think here's an answer. Now again, this is looking to the future when he's going to bring them back. Now, they're in the land, but they're not completely in the land. So we're looking forward to when Jesus Christ comes back and sets up the kingdom for Israel and with Israel. So this is looking way to the future. But Ezekiel, during the deportation years, during the chastisement years, says, Ezekiel 36, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God. Ready? Ready? I'm going to, he's kind of talking about it. I'm going to bring you back, give you the new covenant. But watch this. It is not for your sake or house of Israel that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which is profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in your midst, Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. And I'm going to prove myself holy among you in their sight. Now, first of all, when I chastise you and when I send you into captivity. If you're in Ezekiel, Jeremiah is one book to the left. Jeremiah chapter 22. It's coming 26, 24, 23. 22, 22, 8, and 9. Many nations will pass by this city. Now he's talking about Israel in when God sends them into captivity and it's all falling apart. Many nations will pass by this city and they'll say to one another, Why has the Lord done this to this great city? Why is God doing this to his people? Because you see, it, it could be like, you know, what kind of God is that? Why? Verse 9. Then they will answer, because they forsook the covenant of the Lord their God and bowed down to other gods and sin. And God's going to protect his name. He says, I'm holy. I'm the only one you should worship. And if you do that, I'm going to scatter you. So he did. He did. God protects his name. Okay, we're going to stop. Well, no, I've got to go to the New Testament. real quick so you go back to Deuteronomy 14 when you read these two verses I would encourage you to keep all that in mind and really that's the beginning, that's kind of the top of the iceberg, the more you think about those things the more you go, oh my goodness no wonder there's all these thou shalts and thou shalt nots, because they're going into a land that don't have that they're going into a land basically the, you know, dominated by Satan and demons So they need to remember, they need the foundation that they are sons of the Lord God. So we're not going to do certain things, and we're going to do a whole bunch of other things. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. For the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And you are to be my witnesses. Let me read you quickly Isaiah 43. And Isaiah 43 is a great passage. I would encourage you to read verses 1 through 13, talking about Israel. You know, this was Israel's plan from God. Let me Verse 7, everyone who is called by my name, and he's addressing Israel and Judah, whom I have created for my glory. For I have formed even whom I have made. The design for you was to display my glory through you, through my commandments and my character and what I do for you and with you. Verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed, and there will be none after me, I, even I, the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. It is I who have declared and saved for And proclaimed, and there is no strange God among you, so you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Even from eternity, I am he, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? So Israel, dear sons of mine, as you go into this land, and there will be temptations, and there will be all this stuff going on, have a good time, enjoy the land I give you. Be safe, but remember who you are. You are the sons of the Lord your God, and you are a holy people for my possession. And as you go in there, the way you behave, you will be showing them who I am. So you see the tragedy of the way they behaved (laughs) and what that said about God? So everybody's going to say, "Look, no, this is not God's fault. It's because they're breaking all the commandments." You say, "Oh well, yippee!" Because I sat through what a how long that's been. I'm not in Israel. I'm not in 1406 BC. I'm in January 22nd, 2023, and I'm a Gentile unless you're Jewish. What's that got to do with me? Everything. Absolutely (coughs) everything. Let me just read you some passages from 1 Peter. So just listen to this, because we're, we're, we're out of time. To Christians, to us, he says, you know, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourself in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That is written to you and written to me. And then, he, and then he says, you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim his excellence, excellencies among of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Therefore, he, he says, beloved... I urge you as aliens and strangers because our citizenship is in heaven to abstain from fleshly lust, which war against your soul and keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers as they observe them they will glorify God on the day of visitation because he will be glorified through you through what he has given you to do through the salvation he offers in Christ and his people watch your life. Just as that was was supposed to happen to Israel, and to a degree it did because God, they saw God's justice and they saw God's good. He hasn't destroyed them. And that's the way we're to live. Chapter 4. It goes on to say, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same... NAS's purpose is to be better translated thinking, because that's the word. In other words, since Christ died in the flesh, arm yourself with the same thinking, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. See, the, the people to whom Peter was writing were facing persecution and possible death, and he says, "Look at, have this thinking. Look at, when they kill you, you're done, and you are free from sin because you're in heaven." And so have that thinking so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh while you're here. No longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Why? Because you are sons of God as well. And we just read, you are called by God to be a holy people. And you are called to show by your life who your holy God is. So you don't live the way you used to. Verse 3, for the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousings, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. That's the way you used to live. To come to Christ, all of that changes. And all this, they, your friends, your buddies, are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation and malign you. They're, they're going to give you, they're going to persecute you. We're going to see that in John 14, 15, and 16. Look what they did to Jesus, but they're going to give an account. The point is this. We too are sons and daughters of the Lord God. And we too, there's the thou shalt nots, we're not to do. The thou shalt, we are to do. We'll see that more specifically. Some of them we don't do because it's Old Testament law, but you'll see the principles. You can also read the book of Ephesians. I, I don't have time to give you Ephesians 1 through 5. So let's end here with Jesus. Good place to end, Jesus. Jesus sums it up with these words. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. Jesus says right at the beginning, verse 14, you are the light of the world. Let a city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on the land stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven what is he saying he's saying oh you are the sons of the Lord your God you shall not cut yourself and do all the stuff they do. For you are a holy God to the Lord your God, a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for all his possessions out of all the peoples who are on the earth. You are my witnesses. I am going to display my glory through you. Now that is who we are as believers. So, So there's never a cause really to think, woe is me. Because, oh my goodness, God is designed to show his glory through me. And in fact, Ephesians 1 talks about that, all of that saving thought. And we didn't do that. Ephesians 1 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Help us live that way. Father, I thank you for. I know that was, uh, that was a lot, but it's, it's, you know, may that roll around in our heads. And may you bring that to our attention as a way of filling out the truth that the nation of Israel were your sons and they were to live a certain way. They were a holy people and they were to live a certain way displaying who you are because you told them how to live. New Testament, it's the same thing. Except now, Jesus has come, and he's paid for our sin, and he has sent the Holy Spirit to live within. Oh God, I pray, help us do this. Spend just a moment, and then we'll close in prayer. it up so well, and may we remember that if we are your children through faith in the Lord Jesus, we are sons and daughters of the living God, and we are a holy people set apart for him. Help us follow your directions and show the world really who you are. Help us do that, we pray in Jesus' name.